there's no good thing that God will withhold. Well, of course, we've considered that just recently in our studies in Matthew's Gospel, as uh, Jesus assures us that just as we, as sinful people, know how to give good things to our children, how much more will God not give good things to those who ask him? And Jesus is now beginning to draw towards the close of this famous sermon that he preached. And he brings a number of quite short, pithy uh, little summaries as he draws towards the end of what he's been saying. Um, One of those now we find in verses 13 and 14. And he's going to talk about a wide gate and a narrow gate. He's going to talk about a broad road and a difficult path. And he's going to talk about destruction. And he's going to talk about life. First of all, a wide gate and a narrow gate. The wide gate can be viewed as a life of complete godlessness, a life lived without any reference to God at all. Or as a number of uh, godly men have pointed out, it can also be viewed as false religion. It can be viewed as a misplaced belief that you are a Christian and a member of the church when actually you are not. There's no doubt whatsoever that there have always been many and there are today many who want nothing to do with God and they want nothing to do with the God and Saviour of the Bible. And those people have always been in the majority. They are today, aren't they? It is quite remarkable what some people are willing to believe and yet not willing to believe the God and Saviour of the Bible. Throughout the ages, the true people of God have always been but as a remnant compared with the vast hordes who reject all religion or who are lost in false religion. It's always been the case. Many called, says Jesus, few chosen. Many on this broad road going through this wide gate. Only few ever get through the narrow one. Now you could place a sign above the wide gate, which will be very simple, and it will be a very accurate description of all the people who choose the wide gate. And that sign would simply read like this. Everything that is not the way of the narrow gate. Now we're going to come to the narrow gate, but the wide gate is everything that is not the way of the narrow gate. This way. You reject the Bible? This way. You reject any notion of God? This way. 
You've decided that you are free to choose and decide all things entirely by yourself? This way. The only qualification that's required is that you do not want to go through the narrow gate. So choose this one. You're welcome here. And that largely is what we see people trying to achieve in the world all around us today. Uh, our society today is marked by supposed toleration, diversity, equality. Everyone is right. No one is wrong. Result? Well, increasing sinful chaos. Anything is right for you if you think it is. No one has any grounds to disagree with you. You want total freedom to do whatever you want to do, regardless of the consequences further down the line? This way. This wide gate is for you. You're happy to trust in yourself? You want to be with the majority because surely this many people can't be wrong, can they? This way. You just want to live for yourself, enjoy the journey as best you can? Not want to really have to commit to anything and just go with the flow? This way. You think the whole thing is pretty pointless and meaningless anyway, so who cares? This way. You believe you're the captain of your soul and the master of your own destiny. You think you hold the keys to a happy and meaningful life. This way. What of religious people? You want to follow certain rules and regulations which you believe will help you to accumulate favour with God as you go along. Well, this is the way for you also. You want to be free to conjure up your own version of God. A version of God that will still allow you to do whatever you want to do. Ah, the wide gate is for you. You don't want to be pestered by people who tell you that God still has commandments that he requires you to obey. This is the gate for you. You want to be reassured that the only thing anyone ever needs to know is God loves you. Well, this is the way for you. You believe that God just wants to prosper you with wealth, health, worldly success, financial gain. This is the gate for you. You want to be in that lane which concludes with everyone watching your coffin disappear through a curtain to the strains of, I did it my way. When Jesus says, this gate is wide, you have no idea just how wide this gate is. Everything that is not the way of the narrow gate, come on in. This is the place for you.
where is it for you this morning? Which gate have you gone through? Which path have you taken? There's a wide gate. And the wide gate is all-embracing. Or there's the narrow gate. Doesn't sound so inviting when you put it like that, does it? What is it about this narrow gate that Jesus presents to us? Well, if you're a Christian, you must see that compared to the wide gate, entry to this narrow gate, which relatively few take, is very specific. It's very specific. Perhaps as Christians, it chafes somewhat when people might suggest or actually say to our faces that we are narrow-minded. But it's a narrow gate through which God bids us come. Entering the narrow gate, well, do you remember those beatitudes that Jesus begins his sermon with in Matthew 5? Do you remember those truths that Jesus talks about there? Do you recall those graces that Jesus talks about? Entering the narrow gate requires that all of those things that Jesus mentions there in those opening 11 verses of Matthew 5, they are things which have sunk deep down into your soul in such a way that you have just known you have no choice but to go through this narrow gate because this gate is right. This is a gate which is entered upon having been born again and converted. You enter through this narrow gate as God himself transfers you out of the darkness of this world and out of the darkness of your own sinfulness and into his light and into the righteousness of Christ. And as all that takes place, you become absolutely convinced that that wide gate and that broad road is no place for me. That now is not where I belong. There is this other over here. And I must go there. I must go that way. Kind of what we've just been hearing about in the opening psalm. The whole course of your life has been changed and must change. Do you know something of that within your own soul? It's what we read of in Isaiah. In the, op the opening chapter of Isaiah, we read these words. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. Seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. 
But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. And then in chapter 55 of Isaiah, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way. The unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. He'll have mercy on him. Let him return to our God because God will abundantly pardon. And when verses like that in the Bible are, are made known, for the people going through the wide gate, for the people walking on that broad road, some are howling with laughter at those words. Some are screaming out their derision and opposition against them. Sin? Evil? Wash yourself? Seeking God? Being devoured in judgment? What on earth are you talking about? No one's interested in that old stuff anymore. Sometimes even who say they're Christians can be heard saying some of those things. But in others, despite all of those voices, there's a restlessness within your soul that's found no rest. And you just know that the answer to that restlessness lies through that little gate over there and you just must go there. Is that you this morning? How can you be cleansed of your sins? How can your sins become white like snow or wool? Why should God have mercy upon you and pardon you? What makes anyone seek the Lord when Paul tells us in Romans that no one seeks him? What's changed? How do we become willing and obedient to the words of Isaiah in order that we might hear Christ's invitation to enter into this gate? Well, of course, it requires this glorious work of grace and mercy performed by God upon the heart and mind of a sinner. Saving grace, renewing grace, life-giving grace. And that poverty of spirit and mourning over sin before God that we read of in the Beatitudes. That meekness of heart accompanied by a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And all of those other graces which are outlined there. Pouring into the life of a sinner. And it becomes oh so clear that there can be only one thing that you must now do and that is to go through that narrow gate. Have you done that? Or are you still on this broad road with the vast crowds? And it's a narrow gate. Why does Jesus use these two comparisons? This broad catch-all gate. But then the narrow gate, like the turnstiles at the football match, or like they used to have at the factory gate. You ever been? Through, I haven't been through one of them recently. Room for one person at a time, and sometimes so narrow, there's barely, barely room for the one person. 
So tight is that space, you can't take anything in with you. There's only room for you. Imagine arriving at an airport and you've got all your baggage with you and they've got these narrow turnstiles like they've got at football matches. What do you do with all your luggage? Because it's not going to fit through with you. Well, if that was how an airport was, your trip would end right there. I can't get through with all this stuff. No, you see, it's a narrow gate. If you want to go through all the baggage of your sinful life has to be left at the gate. Because it's a narrow gate. It's intentionally narrow. There's room just for you. But everything else gets left behind. That's what prevented the rich young ruler from going through that gate. He looked over his shoulder. Leave all that. Not a chance. The gate isn't wide enough to take it all with him. He has to turn around in great sadness and leave Jesus behind. Because it's a narrow gate. Jesus did not wink at him, widen the gate and say, come on anyway. Did he? The narrow gate stays narrow. By contrast, Zacchaeus, he couldn't give it all away quick enough. He was glad to go through the narrow gate. All this stuff, hey folks, you can have it. Four times back I'll repay you all. Salvation came to Zacchaeus' house that day. The narrow gate was no obstacle for him. It's to be like Paul in Philippians chapter 3. What things were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ. Indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of knowing Christ. I've suffered the loss of all things, counting them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I've left it all at the gate. It wouldn't fit through with me. It couldn't fit through with me. I left it all behind and entered. It's a narrow gate. And says Jesus, few will find it. The vast majority will never come this way. Nevertheless, the invitation stands and the invitation is open to you this morning. If you're currently, well, maybe you're at that wide gate filled with doubts. Jesus says, come. Maybe you've already made significant progress down that broad road. To you this morning, Jesus says, come. But it is a narrow gate, not a wide one. 
but Jesus bid you enter. You may think you're a Christian, but the reality is you're still holding tight to all of your sinfulness and refusing to let go. And that's the issue. You're holding it tight and refusing to let go. It may be that actually you haven't come through this gate yet. You think you have, but you haven't come through the gate you think you have, and you're not walking the path you think you are. Not yet. The narrow gate demands that you repent of your sins if you will enter. And that's not to suggest that to get through the gate that all of us have to immediately be in a state of sinless perfection in order to enter. But these spiritual truths and realities are burning upon your soul. And you know that's the way you must go. And with a broken and a contrite heart and by faith, trusting in the saving work of Christ, you enter. And on that basis, the gate is open to you. The way is made, made clear. And it's a single gate. There is only one means of entry. Jesus said, he is the door. He is at the gate. And no one enters except by him. Have you come? Will you come? Have you gone through? This is the gospel that Jesus is presenting in these two simple verses, in these simple pictures. There is a narrow gate and Jesus bids you come. Now, once through these gates, you're faced with two things. There's a broad road and there's a difficult path. Now, what about this broad gate and the broad road? Well, it's like every man or woman for himself or herself on that road. Everyone does that which is right in their own eyes and there is room and space for everyone to do it. There are some very wicked people on that road. All manner of evil has taken control of them as they do that which is right in their own eyes. So much so that even some of the people on the broad road are sickened by what they see. There are many who, for the most part, are just minding their own business on the broad road, not really causing any great fuss, but quite content where they are, quite content with the progress they think they're making. There are even some very religious people on the road. Maybe even some who think they're Christians, but caught up in this broad road mentality. Not willing to be bound by scripture, as we were just thinking about before. They're on the broad road still. Deciding for themselves all kinds of things which God has decided and made clear in his Bible. But they prefer to think they're free to decide those things for themselves. They haven't been through the narrow gate. They're influenced by all the things they see around them on the broad road. And they want to bring some of those things into the life of the church. 
Well, you have to, don't you? You've got to be, you've got to be ready to fit in and adapt if you're going to be relevant, they say. And actually, truth is, you look around and you know, some of the people on this broad road don't seem to be doing too badly. But there's one very interesting feature about this broad road. No matter how far along it you go, every now and again, the narrow gate keeps appearing and someone walks through it never to be seen on the broad road again. At the same time, there are others on the broad road and they have wandered so far to the opposite side of the broad road, they lose sight of that narrow gate completely and they will never see it again. <coughs> What of the narrow gate? And what of the path that that leads to? Well, Jesus says, having gone through the narrow gate, the Christian faces a difficult path. Now, in our studies in Romans, uh, we're at that point in chapter 7 where Paul is going to speak very openly about the struggles which all of us have as God's sanctifying work of grace continues in our lives. It's a struggle. It's difficult. The, life, the lives of the apostles were not easy. Now, why might this path be difficult that Jesus calls us to walk on? Well, we have an enemy, the devil. He's constantly trying to make us stumble and worry and doubt. He tries to bring discouragements and temptations along our path, just like we see in the life of Jesus. Anything he can do that might make us turn back or jump over the fence. He'll do all that he can to prevent us from making progress along this difficult path. And then we have our own ongoing inner battle against the lusts and temptations of our old, sinful, proud, self-seeking, self-gratifying nature. Those things still lurk within us while we're in these fleshly bodies. We battle every day, just like Paul did. I know what I should do or say there. I know what I should do about that. But I'm not doing it. And I know I should be rid of this. But it's still clinging to me. And I kick myself so often because I know I'm giving in to the fear of men rather than fearing God the way I should. And let me just say, these things frequently are not a cause for lack of assurance. It's actually a sign of the spiritual life within you. Because before you were a Christian, these battles inside of you never existed. 
And then we have the unsaved world all around us in all of its ungodliness and its wickedness and its moral depravity warring against us every day. A world which loves its own darkness and which detests the light of Christ. A world which will often react against us with, well, with what? Well, maybe just amusement. Maybe a quizzical look but sometimes with ridicule and increasingly with scorn and derision and even fury against those who've gone through the narrow gate. It's a difficult path. Jesus said it would be. We live in a world which despises even the notion of an absolute standard of truth an absolute standard of moral uprightness. A world which despises anything that might say, this is right and that is wrong. And which is deeply offended and vexed when you dare to suggest that such a standard and such a truth actually exists and against which they will one day be judged. And within this godless tide, which just wants to sweep you along and embrace you in all of its unrighteousness, you are called to stand firm, hold your ground. It's a difficult path. The unfit jokes they expect you to laugh at, at school, at work the foul language they expect you to use like they do, the ease with which they wink and tell lies and expect you just to smile at it, the immoral behaviour they expect you to accept as normal just like they do, just doing whatever is required to fit in and belong And you know you can't fit in because you don't belong, because you belong to another. And if you're truly born again, you know that. You do know it. It's burning within your soul. No, you don't always live up to it. Yes, you do often kick yourself at how you've let the Lord down, but it's there. It's, that's the reality. And you're on this difficult path. God in his Bible has never presented or pretended that it would be otherwise for you. That's why the Bible is filled with promises that God will be with you. Do you remember Sinclair over the weekend about hearing of someone who, who was said, on a Christian radio station, just what he needs is a, mir a miraculous healing. And the one thing that burned in Sinclair's soul straight away, no, he doesn't. He needs to know that God is with him. These are the promises that we get all the time. God is with you. He'll strengthen you. He'll comfort you. He'll give you the wisdom, the resolve, the integrity that you need. But you must ask him, seek him, Meditate on his law, because it will be difficult. But God prepares us for it. 
And sometimes it's difficult because God must chastise us in order to rebuke and correct us. Sometimes he must prune us. If you've ever done any pruning, you need a sharp knife. But he does it in order that you might become more fruitful. Sometimes he needs to take you through a refining fire in order that he might make you more holy, in order that you might learn patient endurance. And when you come out the far side, you're more trusting, more faithful, more godly, more useful. Sometimes God will baffle us completely with the mysteries of his providence in order that he may accomplish all that he's decreed. It's a difficult path. And on top of all of that, yes, there's more, we're buffeted to and fro by all of the struggles and afflictions that come upon all men and women simply by reason of living in a broken, fallen, sinful world. The world is full of the three Ds, isn't it? Well, you can decide that when I tell you what they are, can't you? The three Ds. Disease, disasters, and death. And they bring misery upon misery. And all the while, as a Christian, you give yourself daily to poverty of spirit, mourning over your sin, nurturing a meek Uh, and a meek heart developing a growing appetite for righteousness and all those other graces outlined in chapter 5. You see, on the difficult path, the Christian grows in all of those graces. And it can be a very difficult path sometimes, but it's worth the walking. It's worth the walking. And this is the mark of a Christian you know the path is worth the walking because it's God who's working in it, all things for his glory. And you know there are future promises yet to be claimed. But if you're on that broad road still this morning, you don't have promises yet to be claimed to look forward to. For you, there is a warning yet to be fulfilled. Because there is a wide gate and there is a narrow gate. There is a broad road or there is a difficult path. And thirdly, there is destruction or there is life. Some of you will have noticed that so much of the teaching of Jesus, so many of the parables that he told, all end in the same way. The Bible keeps hammering home the message in all kinds of different pictures that there are just two gates leading to two roads which end in two destinations. And Jesus uses all kinds of illustrations to talk about it. This is just one. But again and again and again, this is the message the Bible brings. Uh, I didn't know Joshua was going to talk about Psalm 1 this morning. What he just talked about this morning? The godly, 
the ungodly. It's just two things. It's exactly the same thing in different language in Psalm 1. A narrow gate, a difficult path, life. A wide gate, a broad road, destruction. It's the same thing in different words. The broad road, it leads to destruction. And not a few on that road, without God and without hope, find that they experience a lot of destruction even as they're travelling along it. Those on the narrow road, what of them? Well, despite its many difficulties, they testify that they have found that which is the anchor for their soul. And they are the ones who've who proved and found that the promises of God to keep them and preserve them and strengthen those who hold him, they are true. And he does indeed keep their feet from stumbling, even though the path is difficult. And no matter how treacherous the path might become, he keeps them, he preserves them. And here's what happens, you see. Those on the broad road, as they make their way down that road, they begin to notice that their road is slowly, very slowly, sloping downwards. And up ahead, it's getting darker and darker and darker. And in the distance, what's that I hear? It's the despairing sound of mourning and weeping. Up ahead, the pace on the broad road is slowing. Its end is starting to look rather ominous. And it is an ominous end. It is appointed once for man to die. And after that, the judgment. And if your death comes at the end of your journey down the broad road, you will be met by the righteous and eternal anger of God in everlasting punishment of your sins. And someone on this broad road glances over to the narrow path, the difficult path. And it really does look difficult in places. But something markedly different stands out. That difficult path is climbing higher. And the higher it gets, the brighter it gets. And everyone on that path is continuing to climb. And no matter how hard that path becomes, everyone is still climbing. And some, some still to be pressing on even stronger. And what's that sound? at the end of that path. 
It's the songs of praise and shouts of joy. Because on that path, eternal glory is coming into view. There is one eternity. There are two destinations. Choose today which path you're on. Jesus is the door. If you will enter by him, you will be saved. And your journey will take you safely down a difficult path, but a path which leads to life, a path which leads to glory, a path which leads to God, a path which leads to an everlasting home with your Savior forever. One eternity, two destinations. Choose you this day who you will serve.